Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia, thanking you for listening to the broadcast today. This is part number two of why and how do I have a personal relationship with God. Now, this message is going to kind of follow up what we started yesterday, and I want you to know that we serve a God that is great and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond our measure, and there are certain characteristics of God that we will never be able to comprehend fully. I think about three that comes to mind quickly, and uh, these are non-transferable characteristics of God, non-communicable characteristics of God. Number one, God is omnipresent. That is, He can be at all places at all times. Now, sometimes I wish I had that characteristic, but uh, that attribute, but I don't. Uh, I can only be at one place at one time. Secondly, God is not only omnipresent, He is also omniscient. Now, that's an important word, okay? Uh, This is kind of a theological understanding as as to who God is, and that is God is all-knowing. Nothing occurs to him that's new because he is the author of all knowledge. He is the understander of all knowledge. He knows all things. So God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. And then God is omnipotent, okay? Uh, So God is powerful. He is not going to have energy that runs down. Uh, We get tired at the end of the week. We get tired at the end of the day. It doesn't take a whole lot to tire us out when you think about it. But God is all-powerful. So we're going to look at this from two Psalms, Psalm 139 and then Psalm 121. Now, these are Psalms that David wrote to his people as they were traveling. Uh, They needed to have that encouragement. They needed to have that inspiration as they were traveling. So David talks about the fact that God searches us. God knows us. And he knows us when we sit and when we rise. He knows our thoughts. He can perceive them from afar. David says that you discern when I'm going out, when I'm lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. He says you discern everything that happens to my life. Verse number four of Psalm 139, he says, Before a word is on my tongue... Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you, you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, Even there you are. Your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Oh, I praise you because I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And we kind of stopped there yesterday in the broadcast. Verse 17, Oh, how precious are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I wake, I am still with you. Oh, let me just make a few comments here in verses 17 and verse number 18. Maybe you're listening to me today and you say, you know, I'm not thinking too well of myself. Uh, I've had people come against me. 
I've had people that I love, that I trusted, and uh, and now they've turned on me. Oh, I want you to know God has precious thoughts for you. They are vast in the sum of them. God believes in you. I want you to know that he loves you unconditionally. Not only does he love you, he really likes you. He is very fond of you. David said, were I to count all these thoughts that God has for me, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. David says, I might go to sleep, but I'd be all stressed out. In in another psalm, he says, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. David says, when I wake up, I'm still with you. You haven't left me. You haven't abandoned me. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Now, now David then transitions, and he says, Lord, I know you got all these good thoughts about me, but I still got those people that are wicked. He said, would you go ahead and slay them? Get them away from me, uh, these bloodthirsty people. David says, if they, if they speak of you with evil intent, if your adversaries misuse your name, uh, do I hate those who hate you, Lord? I abhor those who are in rebellion against you. Now, David is doing something here that goes contrary to what we should be doing as New Testament believers. David is saying, I I wish I could get away from these bloodthirsty people. I I wish you'd take care of them, God. When they speak evil, would you take care of them? He says, don't I hate the ones that you hate, Lord? And David is setting up something here. And he's saying, God, you hate them because they've rejected you, and I hate them too. And God is reminding us in the New Testament that God doesn't hate anybody. It's not that he hates them. He may hate what they do. And so David is going to have to be corrected on this. And in the New Testament, Jesus does just the opposite. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, love your enemies. You know, love them who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. And so there's a transition that takes place because of what Christ did on the cross. David said, I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. But then verse number 21, it's almost like David catches himself in saying that. He says, okay, Lord, now search me. You know, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. You know, when I think about understanding how God operates and understanding how to have this personal relationship with him, there's always got to be this balance in our lives. We must balance off grace with truth. We've got to keep this intention. And that makes it hard because we tend to fall on one side or the other. Uh, Some of you who are listening to me today, uh, you're thinking truth, 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 truth. It's all got to be truth. Others are you saying, no, no, it's all about God's grace. We just got to love everybody, and we just got to be gracious to everybody. You see, the extreme, both of them are wrong. And what is hard is, in our mind, we have a hard time merging these two together, but God has no problem whatsoever doing it. Jeremiah 23, 24 says, Who can hide in secret places so I cannot see them, declares the Lord, but I do fill heaven and earth. Listen, the Lord is everywhere. He's in the middle of grace. He's in the middle of truth. Since the Lord is everywhere and he has no limitations, there's no place that anyone can go to hide. For example, 
Uh, let's say you're in a room and, and you're thinking, well, God is fully present. And so we get in our mindset uh, that it's like letting a gas out into the room. So let's say I had a propane tank and, and it didn't have a safety valve on it. I could turn the valve and that gas would go out into the room. You would say, okay, that's what it is, like like God's presence filling this room, that propane filling this room. The analogy, however, falls apart because when you think about the molecules as they go out about the room uh, with propane gas, parts of the room is going to have more of an uh, of a concentration of the gas than other parts. Some parts of the room may be 80%, other parts may be 20% as these molecules break down and, and they begin to diffuse into the room. God's presence is not like that. He's not 80% in one place, 20% in another place. He is 100% always in all places at all times. Now, we may not sense his presence, but it's there. Uh, Just because you don't know something is there doesn't mean it's not there. So as we look at and begin to go over to Psalm 121, we're going to see that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, maybe you're listening to me today and you're, you're saying, I, I don't understand how somebody can begin a relationship with God and then something happens and they abandon their faith. You know, as I was putting together some information about this message, I, I stumbled across some stats about pastors, right? And these things kind of, they kind of catch my mind, right? Uh, catch my attention because I look at pastors and, I, and a lot of times I, I see them doing really great things and wonderful things. And, and I always have a high profound respect for pastors who do something for the long term, right? Uh, my heroes in the faith have been pastors that stood by and continued to preach. They were instant in season and out of season. Uh, they were faithful when it was easy to be faithful. Uh, they were faithful when it was hard and they wanted to quit. Uh, they were just determined, right? And so they understood the presence of God in their lives, and they understood the power of God upon their lives, and uh, and God infused that upon them. Uh, but there's a difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifestation of God's presence. You see, the omnipresence of God applies to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as we talk about the omnipresence of God, we're not talking about the promise of a unique experience. Instead, we're talking about the result of his interaction with the people of God that is unmistakable, along with how the people of God experience God himself. You know, each of us uh, had the Trinity at our disposal, but not all of us have that manifest presence of God in our lives. And so we're going to explain the difference between these through to the uh, in the broadcast today and, and maybe into tomorrow. But Tim Keller recently shared an illustration that I think can help us to understand exactly where this point is going. When you think about people that grew up in the church and they do well in the church and all of a sudden they graduate from high school and maybe they go off to a secular college and then they abandon their faith, why does that happen? I mean, they were raised in this thing and and, uh, for years they believed in Christ and they had a strong relationship with the Lord. They loved their parents. They loved the word of God. They served in their youth group. They were faithful in worship. and, And it seems like they lived a good, clean, Christian, moral life. And then in a matter of months, it appears they throw all that away. Well, I think there's three reasons for that happening. And they're as easy as A, B, and C. But let me first share the story that is given to us in the book, The People of the Lie by Scott Peck. 
Scott Peck was a, a psychiatrist and a psychologist, and I'm not sure if he was a bona fide born-again believer or not, but he talks about a session that he had with Charlene. Uh, Charlene is experiencing meaningless in her life. Her, her life just seems like it's hopeless. Uh, Dr. Peck remembered that in an intake interview, he recalls her being a Sunday school teacher. And he says to her, well, you are active in the church. What does your faith tell you about the meaning of life? And she quickly retorts and says, I'm not a Christian anymore. I just believe in love. Well, Dr. Peck says, well, couldn't your Christianity say anything about life? And then she sighs and, and she rolls her eyes and she says, we exist for the glory of God. And she is not really enthusiastic about this. And she is almost become resentful. And so Peck says, well, well, does that help you at all? And she says, no, I can't do that. Living for the glory of God, there's no room for me. I want to live for myself. I want to be free. I want to live for me. But you know, there's more to being free. As we think about truly being free, being free does not mean I have no restrictions upon me at all. I am actually most free when I'm living for the glory of God. God reveals himself and that he's at all places at all times. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. That is the overall presence of God, the power of God. But then God manifests himself to us. A proper belief in God is essential to have a good relationship with him. It was J. Hudson Taylor who said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's resources. There are three attributes or character traits that influence our belief in God. A, B, C. A is attitude. Paul said this, Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and a depraved generation in which you shine like the stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. So Paul is here talking about this sustainable power to continue to live the Christian life. And he says, do everything without complaining or without arguing. And then you can become blameless, pure, children of God. When we think about attitude, the attitude that we have impacts our belief for God. You think about Charlene's attitude. Her attitude is that God is trying to make my life miserable and there's no room for me if I become a follower of God and if I glorify him in all parts of my life. Her attitude was, it's about me. So she's complaining about God being oppressive, God restricting her. Paul says that is a sign that you're doing everything for yourself in this crooked generation. Paul says, I don't want to live that way. And that's why he says, if I'm going to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or I did not labor for nothing. So our attitude impacts our belief in God. Letter B is our behavior. Now, when we think about our behavior, religion forms a moral foundation for billions of people throughout the world. 
In 2019, for example, 44% of Americans, along with 45% of the people across many nations, said that belief in God is necessary to be moral and to have good values. Well, what about the other 55 or 56%? When we look at what happens to a person morally and their values when they lose their faith, Religion influences our morals and our values through multiple ways, and it shapes the way that people think about and respond to the world and how we foster our habits. But as I look at where society is, there's a growing number of non-religious people. They're referred to as nuns, right? That is no of religious affiliation. As recently as 1990, 7% of Americans responded to having no religion. Fast forward 30 years, now 35% of Americans have no religion at all. Uh, There are now more non-religious Americans than there are who adhere to one single religious tradition. What am I saying? You think about the two largest faith groups on the planet, Catholicism and Protestantism. So the Protestants and the Catholics, when you look at the nuns, They outnumber the number of Catholics and the number of Protestants. When we think about behavior, behavior will begin to dictate our beliefs. So when that son or daughter of yours goes off to college and all of a sudden in a matter of months, they turn their back on Christianity, it's not a matter of beliefs that have changed. Their behavior has changed. They would still say, you just got to love everybody but they are not taking the opposite or the the conclusion of that, loving everybody and what that means. Let me give you a verse that kind of hopefully will shed some more light on this. 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Uh, This is the verdict, that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And so when we think about behavior, it doesn't matter what your behavior is. Your behavior is going to dictate your beliefs. I know many people who never believed in divorce until they were married to somebody they didn't want to be married to. All of a sudden, because their behavior was no longer wanting to be in that relationship, it started to change their beliefs. And so they began to search diligently for a loophole within Scripture to get out of a marriage. It wasn't that the belief was changing. Their behavior was changing. It impacted their belief. So John says, Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Verse 20 says, Everyone who does evil hates the light. And the light does not come into them or because their deeds are evil and they'll be exposed. So John is reminding us here that we can't be neutral to light when we reject it. And that's why you... It blows your mind and says, okay, my kid has brought on this new behavior, but not only does he bring on this new behavior, but all of a sudden, he despises me. It's like, I haven't changed over the last couple months. His behavior has caused that change in his life, and you are a reminder that his behavior is contrary to the light because his deeds are evil. So attitude affects our beliefs. Behavior affects our beliefs. Let us see, we would say, circumstances affects our belief. And to help with this, I want to look at the story of 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, you remember that story, Daniel chapter 3. And as you look at that story beginning to unfold, it would seem like that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are at the mercy of King Nebuchadnezzar. It seems like Nebuchadnezzar is in control. But what Nebuchadnezzar didn't understand was the omnipresence of God. When he threw the men into the burning furnace, he thought, I'm in control. I got this. When Nebuchadnezzar threw them into that fiery furnace, he did not understand the manifest presence of God. You know, even if you reject the omnipotence of God, the, um, the all-knowingness of God, the all-presence of God, sometimes God will manifest himself. Now, let's look at the story. Daniel chapter 3. Let's see what happens in the rest of the story. All right, King Nebuchadnezzar couldn't sleep at night, right? He's tossing and turning, and he knows in, in the depths of his heart that he really threw these three Hebrew children into the fiery furnace because of his own selfishness and his own ego. And, uh, and they, they, in his mind, they did me wrong. They didn't bound worship to me uh, when they were supposed to. And, and so he throws them into that fiery furnace, and he can't sleep all night because of what he did. And so it says that the next morning, he arose in haste. And he declared to his uh, counselors as he's looking down in that fiery furnace, he says, did we not cast three men into the fire? And they answered him and said, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I, I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of gods. Kind of reminds me what David said. <laughs> Where can I flee from your presence? These three Hebrew children said, now, King Nebuchadnezzar, if you throw us into that fiery furnace, our God will rescue us. But even if he doesn't, he's still God. He's still all powerful. He's still all present. He's not asleep. He's going to take care of us. But we discover that the manifest power of God reveals himself and he shows up. And it says that that fourth was like a son of the gods. This is Christ himself manifesting himself. Listen, Christ was in those flames before he showed himself up uh, and manifested himself. He was there. He's always present there, but he manifests himself as a son of the God. And in the Bible, this is, in the Old Testament, the arrival of Christ. It is called a Christophany. It is Christ taking on the form of an angel or of a person, manifesting himself so that all could see. Even old King Nebuchadnezzar, that heathen king, saw the manifest presence of God. David said, where can I flee from your presence? That literally means, where can I flee from God's face? You see, you must not think that God just fills a place like a canister of gas, fills a room, the extension of the molecules. No, God, when, when his presence is everywhere, all times. So I want you to know, now, this is a statement that I, that I hope that you understand and, and I hope that you will live, but God is much more interested in changing your heart than changing your circumstances. Listen, I'm sure that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, man, I'd like to get out of this fiery furnace. I mean, for some reason, that, that furnace was able to burn the ropes that were tying them, but it didn't seize them. Uh, they didn't have the smell of smoke on them. Uh, they didn't have any hair on their heads that was, was melted because of the fire. God was working in their hearts. So God is much more interested in changing your heart than in changing your circumstances. 
So we're going to finish this up tomorrow, but let me give you a taste as to what we're going to cover tomorrow. We're going to cover three things tomorrow of ways that God personally takes care of us. Three powerful ways that God takes care of us. So join us tomorrow when we learn deeper that God is our provider, God is our protector, and God is a perpetual help in our time of need. So please join me tomorrow as we look at these three opportunities that God has in revealing himself to us. Oh, it's going to be a great time. So I hope that you will join us tomorrow. Now, I have established a brand new email for all of the Hope for Your Heart listeners. And it is called onehopeforyourheart at gmail.com. Spell out the word one, O-N-E, onehopeforyourheart at gmail.com. And it's all together, no caps, uh, no spaces, onehopeforyourheart at gmail.com. Now, if you send me an email, that'd be a great way to communicate. I check that at least once a day, and I'll get back to you. And if you have a prayer request, you can use that email. If you have questions about our church, go to our church website, www.hrcc7.org, and uh, you can see all of the ministries that we have. You can see our service times. You can see ways to get involved. And so please take advantage of this. And if I can help you anyway, uh, you can always call me, 757 757- 421-7500-757-421-7500. This is a ministry of Hickory Ridge Community Church. If you'd like to support this ministry, that would be great. You can write a check to Hickory Ridge Community Church and every dime that is given, uh, every penny that is given will go toward the cost of this broadcast. Well, thank you so much for listening today. God bless you. I will talk with you tomorrow. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.